Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Welcome to another edition of Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander, along with... Bunker de France. And in Los Angeles... Todd Roberts. There we go. <laughs> we all got it. Didn't have to... Did, yeah, and you very, sprung it on us out I know, of nowhere. I know. That, that's, My God, you, we have harmony like the Letterman. <laughs> Let's not go that far. Oh. <laughs> Anywho. All right. <clears throat> the, the four sophomores. There you go. That, that sounds good. The three musty rears. <laughs> yeah, right. Anywho, uh, welcome to the show. It's uh, it's a crap day here in Tucson. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a crap day in I Tucson. It's ra- day. It's this ra- is gorgeous. It's raining. Uh, you can't even see the beautiful mountains. I know. It, it. I mean, it's not raining hard, but it's raining. Raining I hard. Screwed up Frisco. my. I screwed up my foot yesterday. Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm all crippled up. I'm hobbling on a. Put my cane down. Got a crutch now. But I step on his toes. He'll do anything I want. You know. And when he says dance, he doesn't have to fire a shot. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, neither the, the, the bad foot, the rain, snow, or lightning, or none of that stuff will keep no, us away t- from the white stallion are, ranch. Or flowing lava, Kauai, or wawa We're just happy to be here. we got yeah. a great show planned for you yes, today. Um, some months back, we started this uh, listener appreciation thing, uh, Favorite Westerns. Uh, we asked listeners to send us a list of their favorite Westerns, at least five of them. And, uh, you know, we'll take a look at them and, and have you on the show and talk about them. I mean, it's it's that simple. And uh, so we, we've done that. We've got a number of entries. And our first entry is going to be a gentleman by the name of Gary Armstrong. He's in uh, Massachusetts. Birthplace yes. of the Industrial Revolution. Yes. It, it, well, the other revolution, too. Yeah. Uh, well, in the home, of, the home of basketball. Well, there you go. Uh, so What's that? That's round ball that you put through a hoop. I never, never heard. Oh, okay, of it. a little okay. before your time, I think. They do that on horseback. I've, you know, I've played donkey basketball. That's well, true. there, there is a game called uh, um, uh, in Brazil. Oh God, I forget the name of it now. They play at the Verde Valley School. It's good basketball with handles on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, he, he's uh, he's our first uh, our, our first victim. And water, water. <laughs> Yeah, this guy is good. What a credit set of And what's so unique about him is he comes voluntarily. He, you know, that's he wants to talk with us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there you go. I think um, he's one of us. I think I know he is. Uh, so before we do that, we need to get out our uh, our brooms here and do a little bit of housekeeping stuff. And uh, I've got uh, the first one up because my dates come before your your thing does. <laughs> And I you con- have a date, and I control I'm the. Tell Sue. And I okay, and I control the thingies here too. That's uh, true. Mescal movie set is announcing its holiday tour schedule. You want to get by there and uh, tour that famous western set before filming gets underway back uh, or come spring. Tours are Fridays and Saturdays on uh, let's see, December 9, 10, 16, 17, 30, and thirty one. Hike, and then in January. 6, 7, 13, 14, 20, and 21. And uh, they start on the hour, starting at 9 o'clock, with the last one happening at 2. It's about a quarter of a mile long uh, and uh, lasts about one hour for the tour. It's only $15 a person. 
But kids, you can hang around afterwards sure, and yeah. just walk through all the buildings sure, and look kids, at everything. Kids 10 and under are free. All proceeds are used to renovate the set to attract future film production, and we need to have future film production in Arizona. It's, it's a must. So contact the movie uh, the mescalmovieset.com uh, to find out more about that. And look them up from oh. time to time because they sometimes have special events going yeah. on. And just remember the unspoken rule out at the Mezcal movie set that any and all uh, unattended children shall be given a cappuccino and a puppy for free. And don't tease the rattlesnakes. Okay. Well, uh, the Empire Ranch invites everybody to join them for Christmas at the Empire Ranch. It's a historic Western holiday spirit like no other. They say, let's celebrate. And that's coming up on Saturday, December 10th, um, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's being put on by the Empire Ranch Foundation. They're located off the of Scenic Highway 83 on the way to Sonoida. Uh, it's three miles back in, paved all the way. And there's going to be music and entertainment. The kids get to meet Santa. It's probably, it may be a cowboy Santa. It may be a real Santa. But cowboy Santas are better. <laughs> Anyhow, they're going to make and take crafts, local vendors, a holiday raffle, cookies and seasonal beverages, which are free. And it's going to be an afternoon of fun and family. So come on down to the Empire Ranch. You'll love it. And I'll be there until you can... EmpireRanchFoundation.org is the place to go to get more yeah, info thank there. Thank you, Harry. You betcha. And it's not too soon to uh, talk about an event that's coming up in March. This will be the first annual Tombstone Western Book Fair. It will be featuring authors of the Western genre, including Doug Hocking, Bill Markley, and Chris Enns, and bunches of others. It's happening Wednesday, March the 1st. Uh, 2023 from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the Shifflin Hall, 4th and Fremont and Tombstone. If you want to find out more, look at their website, CochiseCountyCorral.org, or send them an email at inkslinger <laughs> at CochiseCountyCorral.org. Coral, uh, coral, uh, yeah, got little fish women around there? Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, Print gets awfully close to the paper this time of day. <laughs> so those are some of the events that are happening. Let's bring up our guest here, Gary Armstrong. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Hey, it's great to be here. Now you're if a former yeah, right. You're you're, um, you're a former listen. television reporter, but we're not going to hold that against you. Um, hey, Harry, okay. Harry was a reporter, yeah, journalist I'm, too. So yeah. So I'm used to dealing with you guys. <laughs> Hey, I know everybody in Massachusetts. Yeah, they See? know you too. <laughs> yes. Hey, I have a. I want to give you uh, a, a nice little way to ride out of town when you're through with me. <laughs> in other words, if we're going on too long, all you have to say is we're burning daylight. Gotcha. Yeah, you go. I, I noticed you. You're good. You're good on the John Wayne and the Cowboys. Yeah. I, I, you, you mentioned beverages before, fellas. Yes. Um, are, are you? Are you? Uh, are you fellas drinking the Who Hit John? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact. Well, I'm not. I, I'm not. I, I'm not. But that's not to say that I'm, I'm, he, he, I'm, I'm he, pure. He I'm drinking earlier. tequila. Yeah. Yeah, tequila. Uh, yeah. You know. Well, you know, that line goes all the way back to cow, real cowboys in the real west in the old days. Yeah. 
you know, you know, about three o'clock in the morning, you know, they roust you out and, you know, you grab a quick breakfast and, of course, this is in summertime, you know, because around four o'clock it's daylight almost. Right. And they're out there, they're already heading out. Yep. They're burning daylight. Gary, your list of, of westerns is like, damn, <laughs> pretty good. It, well, it, it's, it's the love of my life. Uh, I My first I got to tell you, the first time, I, first movie I saw was in 1946. It wasn't a Western. But my point is, I was only four years old. And that was the beginning of my love affair with, with movies. Um, and I think the second, the third movie I saw was a Western, and that was it. I was set for life. So we, when I say we, my wife didn't live far from me. When we lived in Jamaica, Queens, which is a sec- uh, section of Long Island in New York, we both saw the movie Shane when it opened. And it uh, played at a place called the Valencia Theater. If you know anything about the Radio City Music Hall and its magical ceilings and yeah. its, its, its walls, the, the, the uh, Valencia was just like that. So Shane kind of set me on the road to... The only good movie is a Western movie, and I fell in love forever with Westerns and I wanted to be a cowboy when I grew up. There you go. But you became so, a reporter instead. I became a reporter. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> hey, well, you know that. But that 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 theater is back when theaters were palaces. I saw I saw your pictures of it, and then, man, it's yeah, we had absolutely. we had some old Fox theaters out here in Arizona that were like right. that. Well, right. let, let's get into let's get into uh, some of the movies here that are on your list, and, and while you have them in uh, the way they're typed out that you sent to me, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to jump around here. But you mentioned Shane. Let's talk Shane. Yes, as I said, um, I was familiar with George Stevens, the director, mm-hmm. and Alan Ladd was a big uh, hero of mine. Um, so when we when we you know there was all of the pre uh, pre film publicity, and I I raced. My folks allowed me to uh, go by myself, and it was you're sitting in this palace like theater as you just described, and you're watching Alan Ladd riding up, and the magic of the photo- the photography in that movie was the first thing that grabbed me. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was in the screen. And riding there with the big mountains behind me, uh, I was mesmerized by the film. And of course, when Ellen Ladd rode up and started speaking to uh, Brandon DeWilder, uh, I was locked in. I was really locked in. And of course, Shane was the hero that you always wanted to be. He was he was soft spoken, but the look in his eyes told you he wouldn't take any crap from anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, you know, think about this. Uh, I, w- I just rewatched not too long ago Whispering Smith, and mm-hmm. and I was looking at it and I thought, you know, I always wondered what happened to Smith after he left the railroad. I think he became a gambler and then became Shane. Could be. But the character, yeah, yeah. The, the character is like, it's like a precursor. Yeah, yeah, interesting. The other uh, one of the other movies that you have listed here, and this will make Todd Roberts extremely pleased. Oh, is yeah. uh, Monty Walsh the Lee Marvin version? Oh, love that. Todd's I dad. Todd's dad produced uh, both Monty Walsh uh, movies. So uh, talk talk about and Monty I worked Walsh on it. and Dom Bunker worked on them. Well, you know, Lee Marvin at that point uh, was evolving as an actor, and 
what he did with the title character in that movie was just marvelous. He did a lot of stuff with his with his with his eyes, and the dialogue was very terse, but it was really very honest. Uh, and what got me about that film, and it still does every time I watch it, is uh, they took the glamour, they took the romance out of uh, out of westerns. I'm almost contradicting myself here, and they showed you how difficult it was mm-hmm. to be a cowhand. Mm-hmm. And that movie showed you the the end, the ending of the era of the cowboys as we know them. And these guys were struggling for some way to carry on with life. And you know, and it, it it still had the magic of the other of the other ones. And an interesting parallel here is Shane and Monty Wallace were both written by uh, Schaefer, mm-hmm. the, the, the novelist. Mm-hmm. Todd, you want to jump in? Well, I you know, um, I take it as a great compliment that you love uh, Monty Walsh, but I also take it as, uh, as a great in a way, a great compliment to Jack Schaefer that you love Shane. I love both films tremendously. I, I, you know, there's a big argument in the Western world over Shane, which I'll ask you pointedly, Gary, is uh, does Shane die at the end or is he just slump over because he's in pain? Oh, I'm still the 10-year-old when it comes to that. He did not die. He was not modally. Thank you, Gary. Gary, I knew you and I were on the same page. I love you like my brother, Very and I'm sending good. you a pallet full of beef jerky to eat with your Western. <laughs> uh, Gary, no, uh, Gary you know, I want you to do this line. Way. Come back, a, Shane. Yeah, that was a terrific way of uh, George Stevens showing you that Shane had been wounded, but he didn't want to call too much attention to it. Gary, right. Gary have you lived in uh, Massachusetts uh, most of your life? Well, I'm I'm a Brooklyn, New York native, okay. to be perfectly honest. But I've lived, I've li- I'm 80 years old, and I've lived in Massachusetts since 1970. Okay, have you traveled so to the west? So, what part of Bro- what part of Brooklyn, Harry, uh, Gary? That's 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 need to know. <laughs> my, father, my father was from Flatbush. He 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 lived on the corner of Lexington Avenue and Ocean Parkway. And went to well, Erasmus Hall. Oh, that uh, Erasmus High School was uh, in the in the conversation then. Yes, and we know why, right? Why is Erasmus High School in the conversation, fellas? <laughs> I'm not even. Well, gonna it's go there. probably the only place that wouldn't throw my father out <laughs> because he was notorious. I, and my I, father was a notorious I, I, sleeper. Going to tell me you went to school with Barbara Stanwyck. Ah. Well, he went to school with a lot of people uh, younger than him and older than him, you know, including Al Davis and Barbara Streisand and Jackie Gleason and so on. Uh, my oh, grandfather worked at a shirt and tie shop on 40, 42nd Street. Okay. Nice. Well, listen, if we're name dropping, when I was in college, I used to share classes with. Madeline Kahn. Mm-hmm. What, any heavy breathing there, boys? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, I have a, I have a, I have a mask on, so you can't hear me. <laughs> oh, that, sounds, that sounds kinky. Yeah, it does. You know, I can't, I can't think of anybody I went to school with that did anything. <laughs> well, other of, than, other than we're, we're all Kahn a bunch of duds. A comedic genius. She was gorgeous too. Uh, 
Hey, we 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 let's get back to the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ride, ride the high country. Ride the high country. The conversation the high is going in the wrong direction. <laughs> ride the high country. Great movie. Love yeah. that movie. Yeah. Beckenbauer. Uh, what a way and to start. Now you, we know the reputation that Peckinpah had, and I have a another Peckinpah movie on, and I'm looking at my list. I don't know whether I had it down here, but the Ballad of Cable Ho. Oh, yes. I love that oh. movie. That is a, that's oh. that is poetry. Yeah. Oh, you know, you just said it. It's a poetic movie, and it has Stella Stevens in it, so it can't be bad. Right. Yeah. But. That showed you that uh, Peckinpah could do gentle movies. He wasn't always into violence. And, of course, we're thinking of the Wild Bunch and other things. Mm -hmm. You know, you did a piece on uh, on the Westerner, and I think that was one of the, I think the greatest TV series of all time, short-lived. But it was, it was so real. The, the, oh, yeah. The situations yeah. were real. Right. That was one of the first times I ever saw a Western on TV where, uh, I think it wasn't Brock Peters, but it was the Black Cowboy. They were in a line yeah. shack, bad storm, and the Cowboys, being Texans, are bigoted as can be, and mm. Bassingale is the only one that stands up for it. Mm. Great episode. So, so you think that uh, was a better television series than High Chaparral? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, real. Okay. Chaparral's the greatest, the greatest depicting ranch life right. and how ranches yeah. work. Yeah. But this is like the, how the itinerant cowboy was. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, follow that. All right, we got Brian. Go ahead. Brian Keith was so great as, as Dave uh, Blassingame. Yeah, and his dog's name was Brown. <laughs> right. Great name for a dog. All right, we got to do our first commercial break. We're talking favorite westerns uh, in our listener contest thingy, if you will. Gary Armstrong is our guest. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. Todd Roberts. We're here. <laughs> the White Stallion Ranch senior moment. We'll be back after this. The foggy White Stallion Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. 
Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tank Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? You're done. I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. But we have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to Best Westerns, Voices of the West at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. Look, you've hung around long enough. It's time for you to move on. That just happens to be your opinion. I'm backing up my opinion. Now make tracks or eat smoke. If I see you around here tomorrow, start shooting. This is the Voices of the West. on Abel Francis, Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles, our guest Gary Armstrong, uh, this is our listener appreciation show. Did we play Gary Owen in honor of Gary Armstrong? No, we did not. We played Gary Owen in honor of uh, John, Ford. John Ford and all the uh, other cavalry movies that yeah. uh, uh, use that particular theme. It was the theme, to the, and still is the theme, to the 7th Cavalry, United mm-hmm. States Army. All right, uh, Gary, you talk about uh, one other movie here that is a huge favorite of mine, Union Pacific. Ooh. Joel McRae, Barbara Stanwyck. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm a, a huge Joel McRae fan, and uh, I think this is one of his best. I think this may, I don't know if it's his best movie, but certainly ranks oh, right up there. Colorado Territory. Yeah, Colorado Territory is good, too. Uh, I, I I disagree. Okay. I disagree. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll I'll give you. Good. I think it's I think it's Fort Massacre. Fort Massacre. Oh, that is a dark play. movie. Boy, yeah. yeah, ever. Oh, yeah. He plays kind of a bad guy in that. Yeah. One. He hates yeah, so Indians. Yeah. Boy. Yeah, and of course, and of course, when you're talking about Joe McRae, um, you also have to include. He's on TV right now, by the way, in the Lone Hand. On hey. Grit TV. Yeah. Hey, Grit. Uh, Joe McCray, of course, in Ride the High Country. Mm-hmm. He, you know, so wonderful in that. And that last scene in the movie where he's been mortally wounded and he says to Randolph Scott uh, about the two younger people who are, 
uh, uh, there, he said, just go with them. I don't want them to see me like this. Yeah. And he just, he just, he goes face down and that mournful music comes up. And that was, that's, that, that gets me every time. Yeah. Uh, well, you also about justified. Tell us that one, Gary. Uh, I, you were talking about movie, local movie production, and we have visiting us uh, this weekend an old friend by the name of Ben Taylor, who's a Phoenix, Arizona resident. And Ben told me that uh, you have a film out there called Double Crossed in Durango. They're filming it now, or I'm not familiar with that. Uh, it's in. It's either. Uh, wrapping up production. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, but it's called Double Crossed in Durango, not to be confused with uh, Duel at Durango. Yeah. Or Duel. Why Cap do we like that one? Why do we like Duel at Durango? Are you? you I'm not familiar with. I'm, I know Duel at Diablo. Is that the one you mean? I'm sorry, Duel at Duel at Diablo. Yeah, I worked Ralph on Nelson that one. directed yeah. it. Yeah, I worked on it. I was one of the troopers. Yeah, I was one of the troopers and doubled a couple of the actors on it. Oh, yeah. One heck of a cast. It's a fun movie. Great movie. Jim Garner. Richard Jekyll. We were talking about Richard Jekyll yeah, a little yeah. bit early. That's how Gene Freeze and I uh, hooked up. I had written a little appreciation of Richard Jekyll, and Gene read it, and uh, he emailed me, and that was the beginning of our online friendship. Uh, and then, of course, Gene wrote the uh, Richard, Richard Jekyll book. But as I said to you, I met Richard Jekyll when he was in Boston promoting... Uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Great interview, and then afterwards, I took him out to some of the dirtiest, slimiest, dirtiest bars in Boston. <laughs> most, I gotta tell you, most of the celebrities I met, that's why they loved me. Yeah. I took him to bars where nobody else went. Yeah, nice. So, you sound like Todd. <laughs> we drank a lot of Who Hit John. Yeah. And, and then, and then, wait a minute, boys, wait a minute. Then we went to a celebrity softball game in Boston Common. Now, back in those days, the early 70s, they had a combined media team, softball team, yep. playing against the Playboy Bunnies because the Playboy Mansion was a big thing back then. Uh -huh. and George Papard was in town because he was shooting Banachek. Okay, long story short... George was knocking back a lot of beers, and he doesn't—he didn't quite know where he was. <laughs> George was scheduled to do a sit-down with me the next day, and towards the end of that evening, I said to Richard Jekyll, who had become very, very friendly, I said, "You know, I don't know whether or not the part's going to show up tomorrow." Now, Richard Jekyll, who I'd known for all of six or seven hours at that point, said, "Don't worry about it, kid. Don't worry about it." And I said, "Okay." Now, fade out, fade in. The next day. It was quarter of the hour, 15 minutes before the uh, scheduled interview. This limo pulls up in front of the TV station. Richard Jekyll is driving. He gets out. He goes to the other side, and he pulls George Papard out. He pulls him across the side. He drags him into the uh, into the uh, TV station. And he says, kid, I promised you pay, uh, Papard, and here's George Papard. Say hello. And Papard just stares. Yeah. And and Jekyll just gave me a punch in the shoulder and said, I'll see you later, kid. <laughs> How funny. How funny. True story. Hey, true story. Hey, you know, yeah, I want you to, that, that reminded me, I want you to tell us the Tony Curtis story. That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, 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 why did you bring that one up? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tony Curtis, um, he was in town to see a friend of his who was a 
coincidentally uh, a psychologist for the TV station. He did. Uh, it was he was like a Dr. Phil back in those days. Yeah. Uh, this had to be in the 1980s. Okay. Uh, I went to visit the good doctor. He had a very swanky apartment in the back bay, I believe. And when I knocked on the door, the door opened, and there was this thick, pungent smell of weed. <laughs> and I thought to myself, mm, this is going to be interesting. And I walked in. The doctor greeted me, and he said, uh, Gary, I want you to meet a friend of mine. This is Bernie. And there was Tony Curtis. And now, now remember, at this point in time, I had been in the business for uh, 1980. I'd been in the business for a good 15 or 20 or 25 years. Yep. I should have been. I should have been more professional. Yeah. But well, through my life, you had a few just before then. I, I, when I see a celebrity, I go crazy. Yeah. So I looked at Tony Curtis, and out of my my celebrity Emmy Award winning voice, I said, "Oh, oh." You're Tony Curtis. <laughs> and he just, he just grinned and he said, yes, I am. And he says, I, I've heard about you. And I've heard you've made a movie about uh, the Boston Strangler. I said, you mean you've heard I did an interview with the Boston Strangler? And I, he said, that's what I'm talking about. Do you know that I did a movie about him? <laughs> and I said, God. yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you made a movie. And, oh, and you had, who, uh, Henry Fonda was in it? And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, did you see my movie? Now, you have to understand that he was talking to me in his normal Brooklyn or Bronx accent. So he had a lot of Damon Runyon-type uh -huh. verbiage right. in my way. Boiny. So he would say things Ber like... Bernard oh, Schwartz. Yeah. And he said, so you did, you, 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 you saw my movie? I said, yes, I just said that. And he said, well, tell me, tell me about, uh, uh, you know, Albert DeSalvo. So I told him some Albert DeSalvo stories, including the fact that DeSalvo, who took a liking to me, suddenly the next cons and people in prison I always liked me at MOI. <laughs> my wife could swear to that. My wife, my, hey, my wife used to take phone calls from uh, uh, people calling from prison, and got guys who had done bank jobs and this sort of thing. So anyway, the Boston Strangler. I told him that, that Al, because, that, because DeSalvo said I could call him Al, Al had made a lamp for me. Now, what kind of lamp? Remember a Christmas story? Yes. Mm -hmm. And the lamp that Darren McGavin had? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the lamp that the Boston Strangler made for me was even more exotic, shall we say? Oh, God. Oh, oh, God. oh yeah. Up on the hip. <laughs> and he, um, and he even you have a notes picture that, of it, uh, uh, Gary, you can send me? <laughs> I'm having a very quiet afternoon here. <laughs> Well, I tell I tell Tony Curtis a story, and you can see that he's really envious that I knew the Boston Strangler, and the Boston Strangler had made a lamp for me. Wow! And now it's almost like he's he's trying to name drop and tell me about who he knows and the movies he's made. And I realize we're in the name dropping, which you really shouldn't do. But yeah. I couldn't I couldn't back away from this guy, oh. you know. So he's Tony Curtis. So he's telling me he did this movie and that movie, and I told him, well, I interviewed Gregory Peck, I interviewed uh, Robert Mitchum, blah, 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 blah. and his eyes are getting bigger and bigger, like, you know, <laughs> who, is this, who, is this, who is this kid reporter? Oh, and God. I knew I had to say something, and he, and he mentioned to me, and he was really sad, Tony Curtis, he said, you know, I don't get enough appreciation for my movies. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, they don't understand you, Tony, I do. He said, well, thank you. And I, and I said, I loved your work in The Outsider. 
and that's the movie in which he played Ira Hayes. Right. And he did a really wonderful job in that. And he didn't really get anything but a few critical uh, thumbs up. And people in interviews really talked about his work in The Outsider. They usually talked about The Boston Strangler or some like It Hot or some right. other movie. But he, he just leaned back and told me how he got into the Ira Hayes role. And all I could say after that was, well, Tony, oh, Bernie, I'm sorry. And he smiled. I think you did perhaps the best work of your life in that movie. Hmm. And he just smiled. And, he thanked, and then he said, remember, my name is Gary. And he looked at me and smiled with those pearly white teeth. And he said, well, well thank you, Gary. <laughs> I said, no, it's, I said, I said, uh, no, Bernie, it's it's Gary. And he said, that's what I said, Gary. <laughs> and, and then the doctor looked at me and said, uh, well, Gary, Gary, I think it's time for you to leave. And I was laughing because it was so much fun. I got up and I'm walking through. Remember, the room is thick with haze from the weed. Mm. And I so I walked through the haze, and as I got to the door, I turned around, and this time I knew what I was doing, and I looked at Tony Curtis, and I said, you're, you're, you're Tony Curtis, right? <laughs> and he just smiled. <laughs> he just smiled, and as I, as I walked out, I could hear Tony Curtis saying to the doctor, oh, that Gary is a nice guy. <laughs> How funny. I just, I just smiled and walked away. Those are so, the, those are the best stories when uh, that happen after the after the, yeah. uh, after the sit down. Just like you said, we got to do our next commercial break here on Emil Francis' okay. Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd we'll Roberts. Be right back. Our guest Gary Armstrong will be back after these messages. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. Little lady up the road apiece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchman to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but blank henchman to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scrappy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. 
and that's just a gentle hitch. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a Renahance to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Renahance, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. Now, wait a minute. Wait just one doggone minute here. Just give me 24 hours to come up with a brilliant idea to save our town. Just 24 hours. That's all I ask. No! You do it for Randolph Scott. Randolph Scott. All right, Sheriff. 24 hours. This is the Voices of the West. Abel Francis, Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bunker de France, Tab Roberts in Los Angeles, our guest Gary Armstrong. We're doing our uh, listener appreciation program, uh, basically listener contest. Uh, email us your best westerns, and we'll have you on the show and talk about it. And Gary Armstrong did that, and here he is. And that noise, that noise that you hear in the background, is the sky opening up over the uh, White Stallion Ranch. It rained like some bitch. We may have to swim out of here. I don't know how we're going to get out of here. Uh, maybe we got some Russell can get us a room or two or well, something. Well, start drinking and you'll figure it out. Hey, uh, Todd, I've already been doing that. Yeah. Hey, Gary. <laughs> well, you need to drink. You need to drink more. Yeah, okay. You're not obviously drinking enough. I've got I've got a quote here from you, Gary, and I think it describes the three of us. And it goes, I didn't care about A or B. As long as there was plenty of fighting and shooting, with a minimum of mushy stuff. That's me. That's me. That's a great quote, Gary. I wanted to find out. I mean, you you were a general assignments reporter for uh, the television television station there in uh, Massachusetts, and I come from a news background as well. I, I was a news director and and reporter. Blah blah blah. I hate these I, I know. Yeah, I do too. But the the point of the matter is, <laughs> as a general assignments reporter, you get whatever the assignment editor throws your way. Now, you have interviewed tons of cowboy stars, western stars, and that does not sound to me like something that a general assignments reporter or a, gen, a uh, uh, an assignments editor would uh, even consider. Cowboys in Massachusetts? What the, you know? So how did you get, how did you manage to get all of these great interviews that you accomplished? Uh, we Remember this was back primarily in the 70s and 80s. And this was before, well, this was when movie stars still had to travel, uh, do the national uh, tours to promote their films. This okay. is before you had... You had uh, Zoom and other things whereby you could do one taping in Los Angeles, and that would take care of all the promotion. So mm-hmm, right, the, right. The, the actors, the lead actors and the, and, the, and the supporting actors had to go to every nook and cranny in the States. So we had several uh, publicity agencies 
in Boston who would handle the actors coming into town to promote their movies or books or songs or whatever. Uh, and this one particular agency was aware of me and my, my love of movies, so they would give me a heads up as to who was coming into town. Now, I worked for the station that was number three in a three-market station, so I had to I had to wait my turn until the uh, reporters who uh, were more famous and who had more access to getting ratings. So I had to, I, I got like the third dibs on whoever came to town. Okay. But, the, but the, the thing I had working in my favor was a, my knowledge of the movies and my, my, my knowledge and love of supporting actors, character actors, stunt actors, uh, because they were always involved in the entourages that came in to Boston or New York or whatever. But the reporters never asked for the supporting actors. I always did. So I made it easier for the PR agents to do their job. The stars always got big attention, but I gave access to the uh, supporting actors. So that's why I was on the uh, the must call list. So that you know when they were, when Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid was being promoted in Boston, mm -hmm. uh, Coburn and Christopherson and Dylan were being interviewed by the by the really important reporters. Mm -hmm. I was able to ask for Richard Jekyll, and they were thrilled to send Richard Jekyll to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's how that that thing worked. But you know, as a general assignment reporter, you're right. I got everything they threw my way, and then some. And I usually ran with it. Uh, they they liked the fact that they could asked me to cover a parade and I came back with something that was interesting. Right. I was part of, I was part, I was, I was a 20 or 30 something young man back then. I was part of a new wave of people coming into TV news at, time, at that time. The older TV reporters didn't want to do much. They just wanted to do a short script and a stand up and that was it. <laughs> uh, I had come from a background where you had to make sure your story sang with video. Mm -hmm. So I found all kinds of ways to make my story sing, as they mm -hmm. like to say. Mm -hmm. I want to quickly uh, jump jump from that, if if I may, because there are several anecdotes I want to share with you. Please, One of them, please. I think, Robert Mitchum, uh, when he was in town for Eddie Coyle, and I took him out afterwards, and we had an afternoon of drinking and in that very <laughs> seedy bar. And to, to me, it was just because of Mitchum, he was so easy to... to um, get to know and relax with. Mm -hmm. uh, and he felt comfortable in that bar, as I told you. At some point, it must have been two hours into into drinking, and I was consciously staying with Mitchum. We were just drinking no, no, no watered-down stuff. We were drinking the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me, and he said, you, and he called me, dude. He said, dude, you, you, you're staying with me. And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he said, he said, dude, nobody stays with me. And I said, well, well, I said, well, uh, by that time, he said I could call him Mitch. So I said, Mitch, uh, uh, you never met me before, so, you know, welcome to the club. And then uh, we had, we had, the, the technology was so old that I had a, a two-way radio next oh, yeah. to me because I was supposed to stay in touch with the yep, station. Yep, yep. I had told the station I was going off on a special assignment, even though I was in a bar just down the street. <laughs> So they were trying to get a hold of me in the two-way to get me to go cover a story. And, you know, there was one of those old things that reporters do. Where you put your hand over the mic and yes. you say, I can't hear you. Yes. I can't hear you. So I did that a couple of times. And Mitchum was laughing loud and cursing. He was saying, I can't friggin' believe this. So I, I, blew off my, I blew off my bosses. And I could hear the muttering that goddamn arm's going. 
And Richard says, Richard says, how often do you do that? And I said, oh, all the time. He's, and so he says, well, how do you get along with them? And I said, well, they don't really like me, but they know I'm a hard worker. And he said, God damn it, that's the same thing I have. <laughs> and so we started swapping work stories. And Bosses. the bartender, the bartender had been coming over every twenty minutes or so, just without asking, just putting the drinks down. And he looked at me, and it, we must have been into now our third hour, and I don't know what round. Oh my god! And he said, "Do you do you want to get something to eat?" And I said, "Well, what about you, Mitch?" And he said, "Well, no, this is good." <laughs> and at that point, the bartender came over with two chicken salad sandwiches, and Mitch embraced an eyebrow at looked at the bartender and looked at me and he said, how did the guy know? And I said, Mitch, they know me here. <laughs> and he said, he said, hot damn dude, I like you. And, he said that, and then he went off, he went off for 10 minutes about these directors that he worked with that he didn't like. And he, he was swearing like the seller up and down. And I was saying, yeah, wow. that reminds me of somebody else. That reminds me of somebody yeah, else. Yeah. And he was, and he was like, I had lost control. Although it wasn't an interview, it was a conversation. I had lost control. Sure. Because Robert Mitchum was all over the place. He was he was into telling me about working with uh, um, Greg Garson. Uh huh. Um, and 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 that film they made, which the title I forget right now, but he said she was still doing four or five or six years after she had done Mrs. Miniver. She walked on the set and she behaved like Mrs. Miniver. <laughs> <laughs> and, he made a, and he made a disgusting look with his face. And I said, yeah, 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 I know. I, I work with a lot of Mrs. Miniver. <laughs> and he right. laughed and he slammed, he slammed the desk, the table so hard that he spilled the drinks. Oh, and he said, oh, shit, dude, did I do that? I said, no problem. And as I said, no problem, the bartender was back within the first round of drinks. <laughs> and he said, dude, you're really cool. And I said, yeah, well, so are you, Mitch. <laughs> and he kept laughing. And now it was up to about 6 o'clock, and he said, don't you have to be somewhere? And I said, I'm here. I'm fine. And he said, man, you get away with a lot, don't you? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I, I know stuff. And because I know stuff, they, they bother me, but then they stop at a certain point. Yeah. And he said, man, that's like what I do in Hollywood. That's cool, dude. <laughs> Funny. Tell Robert, the Robert. Tell the story. Um, tell the story about Hugh O'Brien, uh, the oh. the after 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 interview. <laughs> yeah. Hugh O'Brien. This again. This is late eighties, and uh, Hugh O'Brien came to town, and he was promoting his boys' club or something like that. It was a charity. He wasn't promoting a movie or a book or anything like that. He had a boys' club. So we we did the interview, and we're getting near the near the interview, and we were shooting cutaways. That's right. So the mics, the mics were so hot, though. He, I, I don't think he remembered that. The mics were hot, and they're doing uh, uh, shots over my shoulder and over his shoulder. And he says, "Gary," and I said, "Yeah, what you?" He says, "Gary, I, I, I got a problem." I said, "Hugh, what's the problem?" He says, "My girdle, my girdle is killing me." <laughs> I said, "What?" He says, "Yeah, Gary, my 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 I got to wear a girdle to keep my." You know. I said, "No kidding, you wear a girdle." And he says, "Come on, Gary, don't make don't don't make fun of me." And I started. I started laughing, and my cameraman started laughing. And Hugh O'Brien looks at us and says, "Okay, boys, laugh now, but someday will come when you have to wear a girdle." <laughs> I just said, "Okay, whatever you say." And somebody 
somebody in the background in the newsroom started singing, Wider, Wider. And then I jumped in and I said, Bold, courageous, and bold. And he just said, he just said, Oh my goodness, what, what have I walked into? <laughs> you, you, I said, I'm sorry, you've walked into the worst TV station in Boston, but have fun with it. Oh, that's and he funny. said, can I, can, can I get out of my girdle? And I said, yes, yeah, sure, I'll take you to the men's room. As we walked out, I could hear someone saying, where's Gary taking you, O'Brien? And the second voice said, his girdle is killing him. So Gary is taking him into the men's room to help him get out of, get out of his girdle. And the laughter ran out through that newsroom. And when Hugh O'Brien came back in, Everyone was staring at him, and his face was red. Yeah, boy. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I've, got uh, to, I've got to point something out here. Just so everybody listening realizes, you know, you're not, you're not a goofball. You won three New England Emmys, yep. 76, 77, and 78. You've done good. Yeah, you're an, you're an accomplished journalist, no question about that. <laughs> There's some who would disagree. But well, you know, when I when I say that, uh, 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 yeah, he's, a, he's like he's just accomplished like we are. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> accomplished. Yeah, exactly, accomplished like we are. Hey, we got to do our final commercial break here on Amble Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts, our guest, Gary Armstrong. We'll be back with much more after these messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management, 7411 East Tank Verde in Tucson, 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Hello? 
I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like westerns, right? You're to... I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. But we have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. It seems to me, Sheriff, if the names are fitting you, that some protection ought to be given the folks that pioneered our valley. This country is overridden with rustlers and killers, and nothing's been done about it. This is the Voices of the West. Tool tinkling the ivories. Missy, we're going to do something about that situation. We're going to start a henchman's buddy club. There you go. Knuckles O'Toole, that's the uh, the dill pickle rag. Did you know that? <laughs> dill pick, I didn't that's, know that. That's the name of the tune. Oh, okay. Uh, welcome back to Emil Francis, Voices of the West. Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our guest, Gary Armstrong. We're talking about his favorite westerns. Todd Roberts, you want to throw in something there? Well, I just think your your breadth of stories, Gary, is just is beyond the pale. I, I mean, you must probably be maybe the most popular person in any bar you walk into. <laughs> and I'm ready to take you now. You doesn't have to buy a drink. No, he uh, doesn't have to buy a drink. I, hey, guys, I know time's running out, but uh, back in the day, and I hate that phrase, <laughs> when I was throwing the lady who would become my wife around Boston, I took her to all of these seedy bars. And, and of course, she had to, in the back of her mind, wonder, you know, is this all I do in Boston? <laughs> but the point, the point is, I loved it because every place I walked into, 
Um, it was one. Hi, Gary. How you doing? Your drink's ready. It's like going. Your to, drink is ready. Gary. It's like going to uh, Cheers, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I had, I had my own cheer and all that stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, but it, it was it was so much fun doing these things. Hey, I have a John Wayne story I need to squeeze in. But before Please. I do that, I mentioned earlier in the show. I mentioned a movie called uh, Double Crossed in Durango. Yes. And we were talking about that a bit. And there's a, there's a young lady uh, involved with that name, Carol Herrick. Does that name ring, ring a bell? Not, not no. to me, yeah. Okay, it's C-A-R-O-L-H-E-R-R-I-C-K. So if you know, somebody writes it down. Just... There's and Duke. Let's, let's, John Wayne. Now, as you noted, I, I've got a laundry list long of all the people that I've interviewed. But I always say my favorite interview was when Duke Wayne came to town. And this was back in 1974. He had just made Brannigan, I think. And he came. He came to Boston because he he, he, had, he, he was going to be honored. I say that in quotation marks by a hasty pudding from Harvard University. He was riding in a in a procession that included a half track, and it was snowing. And I was watching the parade from the sidelines, and I was trying to figure out how would I get an interview with John Wayne. This is and, oh, and this is the height of the anti-Vietnam protest. Mm-hmm. So students were throwing snowballs at John Wayne because of his pro-white political beliefs. So I'm wondering how the hell am I going to get an interview with John Wayne? Well, somebody who knew me spoke to somebody, someone in John Wayne's half track. The next thing I knew, we were set up in a small theater. Uh, en route to Harvard, someone put the lights on, my crew set up on the stage, I went up on the stage, and I'm standing there, and I remember, big, Gary's a big time movie fan, and John Wayne is Gary's biggest, biggest movie idol, and I'm standing there, and he comes striding across the stage in that Duke Wayne gate, and he looks at me like he's known me all his life, and he says, Hello, Gary. Good to see you again, pal. And I'm standing there in my, you know, I'm standing there and I've got my TV smile on and it's frozen. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, holy hell, Duke Wayne is talking to me. I'm going to interview Duke Wayne. And we segued right into the interview. And it it went along fairly well. And while we were talking, Wayne notices I had a small uh, Marine Corps insignia on my jacket. Now, I don't know whether I mentioned I was in the Marine yes. Corps short-termer. I was a real short-termer because uh, you were at the uh, while, I was in, while I was at Camp, not Camp Lejeune, so many of those PSAs in my head. <laughs> while I was at Paris Island, they gave me a complete physical, and they found out that I couldn't hear. So they mustered me out, but I was still a Marine. And years later, when I mentioned to someone that I was a short-termer, they said, well, if you were at Paris Island, if you wore the uniform, you'll always be a Marine. So that's, right. that's how can I had the uh, little button on. But Wayne noticed it. And, of course, you're familiar with the fact that he didn't serve in World War II right. while making all of those uh, you know, heroic movies. But he saw the button, and I saw there was kind of a weird look on his face. So when we wrapped up the interview, he pulls me aside and, and asked, uh, were you really a Marine? And I said, well, yes, I was. And... He just, I didn't say, I didn't offer anything else. And he said, well, he said, well, damn, can I shake your hand? And I said, of course you can, Duke. So we shook hands and he 
we finished the interview, and he, he left, and he went to do the uh, hasty pudding affair that I mentioned that he was mm -hmm. in Boston for. I was at that sitting in the back of the crowd of reporters, and when he finished uh, addressing the media and addressing all the other people there, he started taking questions from the media. But before he took the first question, he scanned the crowd of reporters. He saw me sitting in the back. And I still can't believe this, but he saw me sitting in the back of I don't know how many reporters. And he said, well, I, I see among you ink-stained wretches, I think we have a gyrene in the crowd here. Stand up, Marine. <laughs> He's pointing right at me, so oh, I, I got up and I asked him something, and I could see all the other reporters just staring daggers at me. <laughs> and we did a couple of questions, and uh, I said, well, thank you. And he said, no, thank you, gyrene. And I sat down, and I felt like I was eight feet tall. Mm. It, was, it was most cool. Now, the tag to that story was, when I got back to the TV station, I walked around asking everyone, do you know who shook my hand today? And the first person said, no. And I said, John Wayne shook my hand. And they said, well, that's very nice. And wouldn't you know it, I kept walking around to the people I work with, people who I respected, I think, or who respected me, I think. But all I could say was, do you know who shook my hand today? <laughs> and about the 10th person looked at me and said, we know, we know John Wayne shook your hand. That's great. Why don't you go home now, Gary? <laughs> that is and great. And you've never washed that hand it. since. Oh, uh, golly, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't lessen my enthusiasm and how, <laughs> how great I felt that day. I met John Wayne, golly. What a, what a great, what a great story and a great way to end our talk with you, Gary. Uh, most, <laughs> you are a very interesting individual. He's one of us. Yeah, you We're are. one of him. Yep. Yeah, you are, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate. Uh, I guess we're burning daylight. We're burning daylight, sir. Well, I mean, Gary, you know, this ain't CBS, but, you know, we still got to adhere to some standards. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, next time we get together here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, We've got a guy on who uh, Todd Roberts has suggested. His name is Dave Cena. D uh, Todd, talk a little, very quickly about our guest for next week. Well, Dave Seamus is, uh, uh, it's funny that Gary talks about John Wayne. Dave Seamus is somebody that has done his best throughout his life to emulate John Wayne and Teddy Roosevelt uh, and uh, Ernest Hemingway. He's an adventurer, a hunter. Uh, an entrepreneur, uh, a world traveler, uh, very well read. He's a cowboy at heart. He sponsored the uh, Reno Rodeo. He has his own posse of, of riders who ride for charity. And they also put on, uh, shall I say, gunfight shows for people over the years. And uh, he's just a, a good friend of my family's. He was my father's partner. And um, he's somebody that I value his friendship tremendously and i'm i'm grateful to be able to call him a friend and we're looking forward to having we him certainly on. are that's next week on Emil franzi's voices of the west until then 78 79 80 o's and we deal in lead friends <laughs> so long everybody <laughs> i know thanks for listening to Emil franzi's voices of the west 